Welcome to Voices from the Dales, with me, Andrew Fagg. This is a podcast series published by the Dales Countryside Museum in the small town of Hawes in the Yorkshire Dales. It's episode 15, and it's going to be all about Piet, or Pete, as you might say. That terribly important brown-black stuff that you find in boggy spots on the top of the fell. In this episode, we're going to be hearing from Jenny Sharman, Pete Project Officer, from Rob Brown, the owner of a vast moor that's used for grouse shooting in Bishopdale, and also from the archives as well, a clip from 1963 and Grassington. But first, let's hear the voice of the bog itself. The voice of the bog, recorded by Sarah Smout. And she took that recording here on Fleet Moss, which is a vast peatland in the heart of the Yorkshire Dales National Park. And I'm sat in a gully, out of the wind, with Jenny Sharman, Peat Project Officer. Uh, Jenny, thanks for coming and speaking to Voices from the Dales. I know that you've spent the last few years of your working life dedicated to restoring spots like this. Uh, what was it in your life's journey that, that brought you to boggy backwaters such as this? Yeah, it's a bit of a strange roundabout story as to how I got here. Um, I started life out in Africa and I think that's where I, I, had, I, I got my love of wildlife and nature. And I think it was actually seeing the land that I love change so much in my lifetime um, and just become all the species declining and I really wanted to do something about that I really wanted to try to contribute in any way that I could to make a difference and I started actually working in uh, filmmaking so I was doing wildlife films and environmental documentaries and after many years of that I began to feel like I wanted to actually uh, get more into the front line of conservation and to get my hands dirty, if you like. Um, so I retrained and I began to do lots of volunteering in England um, uh, on various different conservation projects. And one of that uh, was with Yorkshire Wildlife Trust. And that eventually took me to this job. Well, I'll ask you for a moment to set the context of where we are here at Fleet Moss, but to take a step back even further, if most people were to think of the Dales, they'd think of meadows or barns and becks, the, the valley bottom scene of stone-built towns and villages. But one quarter of the Oxford Dales National Park, at least, is peatland, blanket bog, more than 50,000 hectares and and we're in the midst of that now what makes fleet moss distinctive fleet moss just in terms of peatlands this wasn't here 6000 years ago so round about that time the climate actually changed and it became much wetter and warmer in yorkshire and with that came the rain that we are now so familiar with here and you'd get huge amounts of precipitation that would just sit on the top of these hills and create this very, very waterlogged environment that meant that there was only some types of, of plants that could actually survive up here, different, you know, the species that could survive up 
here. And that was because that waterlogged environment was incredibly acidic. And those species are the ones that you're seeing around us today. So you've got your heathers, uh, you've got your cotton grasses, all sorts of different berries, crowberries, bilberries, cranberries. Um, and most importantly, you have sphagnum, which is a moss, bog moss. And those species are actually what creates the peat. So peat is made up of the decaying and decomposing matter of all of the species that live on it. And it's because it's so acidic that that decomposition is incredibly slow. So what you see here, we have about four meters worth of peat on fleet moss that's, that's remaining in places, which means it took 4,000 years, if not more, for that to grow on fleet moss. You and I met here about three years ago, I think it was, and the spot looked quite different then. I mean, it's, it's a very broad vista. You can't see any trees. They're not meant to be here. And we've come to this spot where there's a few examples of what, that you can point out of, of what's happened in the last few years to restore it. Yeah, so Fleet Moss is actually probably one of our most degraded sites that we have in Yorkshire. But to be honest, I've, I've actually developed a real love for Fleet Moss and the work that I do up here. Um, and yes, we're looking at restoration work that's been going on for a few years now, and we're really beginning to see the benefits. So all of that black, broken land that I saw the first day has been transformed and we've managed to get so much vegetation coming back so what we're looking out at now um, there's a bare peat right in front of us this would have all just been blackened land and we're now seeing all these little cotton grass heads that are blowing in the wind you know it's just a, a wealth of life now and further off in the distance you can see the timber dams that are uh, being used to block those uh, eroding channels that water would have just poured down them. But you can see they're blocking the water, but they're also blocking the sediment. So all of that sediment that would have actually been tearing off down the hills with the water um, is no longer doing that. It, we're actually keeping the peat up here, which is incredibly important. Now, this isn't the only site that you've been working on. Let's transport ourselves about 10 miles away. And you recently caught up with Rob Brown, a farmer, landowner, who's been working with you to restore that bog. Well, you started actually on Thoralby Common. That was the first area we started. Uh, there were areas where there were some big streams running right through the moor um, and it, you know, causing a lot of erosion, deep gullers, and they were blocked. And then we tackled Newhouse, a very exposed piece of moor, and then we moved on to the last piece of the jigsaw puzzle, the stake which is where we're sat now, having a look. Yeah, and we're in, we're in amongst all of the, actually some reprofiled and turfed um, old hags that used to be here. So when you first saw that, Rob, when you first came back onto the moor after we'd been working on it, what, what were your thoughts then, seeing this landscape? Mm -hmm. No, we're absolutely delighted. I mean, it, the work was going on in the winter, so you can't, it's tricky to visualise it while the, the big diggers are there and, and everything. And it looks kind of quite alien in the landscape. It looks kind of intensive, uh, commercial almost. But when it came to the spring and you saw it start to recover very, very quickly. In fact, we were amazed at how quickly it did recover. It's a fantastic feeling. 
we were looking at even in a short space of time where we'd blocked some of the or you'd blocked some of the streams and uh, gullies with wood and stone the insect life on them already was amazing and uh, we could see kind of small frogs couldn't we lots of um, daddy long legs and uh, um, water you know I'm out of my death on the insects but <laughs> all I can say is it was very very much changed from being a barren landscape into something that was living and you could uh, you know had a future which was great in the dales and on the moorland I mean it's all a big jigsaw puzzle trying to get right the um, open access the side of agriculture um, uh, country sports the kind of the grouse shooting and trying to bring all the parties together so that um, it's a win-win solution for everybody. And in terms of the grouse shoots um, that you have up here and the clients that you have, what, what have they said? Have they kind of remarked at all on, on what they can see? Yeah, well, it's really interesting because actually getting is that my time when I spend up here is quite often when we're grouse shooting and you get more time to be spent on the moor. And um, the guys that come and help with the beating, they're always really interested in it. And we meet them in the morning and talk about the restoration and where they can go and not walk on because we're putting down the brash. We don't want any exposed areas. Um, They're all really young. That's the nice thing. They're kind of young people. And they stop and look. You can see them looking at it. And they see it changing every year. When we have the guns there as well, they kind of walking into the butts or where we might be standing and they're absolutely fascinated with it um, they're fascinated because they see it changing because the same teams come back up and um, and they can see the benefits of it straight away with just the bird life rob brown peatland owner speaking to jenny sharman on stake moss between bishopdale and wensleydale well i'm still with jenny sharman on fleet moss a few miles away and we've got some very special plants to describe but I think Jenny one thing that stood out from that interview you did with Rob was how it demonstrated that peatlands are so important to people and I just want us to drop in a clip from the archives from a man called Oswald Jacks from Grassington speaking 1963 to Stanley Ellis in a farm building as part of a survey of English dialects and he spoke about how peat was cut and dried for burning in the home have they ever used peat round here? Oh, oh yes, they use peat. Let's have lots of something here. Let's have something here. They have to be a graving spade that they were all about. Oh. Graving peat, but. And you've graved it yourself, have you? Ah, not a lot. I haven't done much. Just occasionally done a bit, but when I was younger, at First World War, we we did a fair lot. Uh-huh. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. And uh, during the war, we did a, a bit, like not a. I mean, wasn't the time to spare really, but there's oh, a lot of them on these. Uh, just at these out places now, they they get a fair bit yet. But Does they? Uh, mm. mm. And do they burn it in the home then still? Burn it in the house, aye. Right. Mm. There's a fella up on top there, a shepherd, Joy they call him. He's, oh, I think he burns no tells much but peat. And he's a double tidy fella to know which job he. And, uh, oh, at olden days, they used to spend about a fortnight before eight time graving peat. Mm. 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 And how long would a fortnight's graving last them? Oh, it depends on how they work, but they're taking to get about a load a day out. Yeah. I mean, you see, it takes a lot of, of peat to fit you through winter. Mm. 
You see, they burn quickly. Mm. Mm. Jenny Sharman, earlier you spoke about fleet moss being broken when you came to restore it. Was it the peat cutting and burning which led to that brokenness? No, no, I think peat cutting in Yorkshire was fairly minimal. Um, You get much more of it in places like Ireland where it has caused a lot of damage. But I think here it was mostly sort of for domestic use. The major cause of damage on places like Fleet Moss and in much of the, the Yorkshire Dales is actually to do with drainage. After World War II, the government wanted to get as much food production as possible, so they encouraged farmers to actually uh, dig ditches, known as grips, um, and they were incentivized to do this. So thousands of of kilometres of these grips were dug across uh, the peatlands in Yorkshire, and they worked really effectively. They did drain the land, which enabled sheep to get up here, which was the the whole point of it. So suddenly these very fragile ecosystems that depended on being waterlogged were being drained. So you can imagine that all of those very special species that could only grow in these waterlogged conditions began to disappear. And not only was that an issue because the vegetation was being stripped off the surface, but it was also drying and effectively dying. The peatlands were dying as a result of this drainage. And here we, we sat down, we are on the floor and we have prima facie evidence of the improvements that are being made. There's a very special plant in front of us where only a few years ago there was bare ground. What is it? It's called sundew and it's actually a carnivorous plant So if you look closely at it, it's very small, but if you look closely at it, there's lots of tiny little droplets, sticky droplets that are on the end of uh, little kind of fronds that come out from the leaves. And those sticky droplets actually trap insects. And you can see in front of us, there's lots and lots of poor, unfortunate little insects that have been trapped by this very pretty plant. Um, And that's where this plant gets its life from is from those insects. It's sort of like a Venus flytrap in miniature. <laughs> yes, exactly. It is. Well, Jenny Charman, thank you for sharing your experiences of restoring fleet moss. And thank you for listening to Voices from the Dales. We'll go out with a bit more of the voice of the peatland itself, as recorded by Sarah Smout. <laughs>